APRA acknowledges the traditional owners of country throughout Australia and the continuing connection to lands, waters and communities. We pay our respect to Aboriginal and Torres Strait Islander cultures and elders past, present and emerging. Welcome to Taking Care, a podcast of APRA and the National Boards. I'm Tash Miles. As individuals, we're constantly adapting to new normals. As they emerge, we need to consider how society and structures will adapt, how they can support us and how we react to the world as it changes around us. Today's episode focuses on dental practitioners responding and adapting to the COVID-19 pandemic and public health restrictions, how this affects their patients and the public and what the future might look like for the profession. I'm joined by three guests to give insights, stories and more. Let's meet Robert Main. I'm an orthodontist in a group practice in the Golden Valley, uh, Shepparton. Uh, we've uh, got about 20 staff. As an orthodontist, uh, I guess the public know it as uh, having braces, but it's uh, a little bit more broad than that. We deal with uh, growing individuals, moving uh, and guiding uh, the bones into the correct position, the teeth into the correct position, managing uh, patients with uh, jaw size discrepancies, uh, cleft lip and palate, from adults uh, until and children. Neda Nikolovsky. I'm a senior dental prosthetist with Queensland Health, um, specifically um, the inner city area, so Metro South. I've been a dental prosthetist probably for about 15 years. Um, prior to that, I was in the lab. Um, we have a staff of about 120 in our main facility and district-wide, we've probably got, um, I'd say, around 400, 450. Great. Could you explain really briefly what a prosthetist is? Sure. Prosthetist has a much narrower scope of practice than the dentist. We um, do removable removable prosthetic appliances, so to keep it simple, dentures, night guards, mouth guards, things like that, partials, full dentures, to rehabilitate, you know, the patient or the client when they've lost their teeth. And Louisa Interligi, here to give the regulators perspective. Louisa, could you tell us what you do? Sure. I'm the Executive Officer for the Dental Board and I've been in that role since October last year. I've been with APRA since 2015, so a few years, and working mainly in uh, multi-profession policy, but also have worked in uh, regulatory operations. Fantastic. So we're here today to talk primarily about how the pandemic and consequent restrictions have affected your practice. Um, Rob, let's start with you. How has COVID-19 affected your practice? Initially, we we heard about the virus probably early in the year and there was a lot of uncertainty from staff and patients about what, what it meant and patients were getting information at the same time we were and then calling the practice and uh, uh, we sort of didn't have time to digest a lot of the information and implement changes to our policies and procedures. Trying to get the information out via email, which is all phone, was a little bit slow. And so we, we moved a lot of our um, information for patients to social media. It just seemed to be a really efficient way of getting uh, up-to-date information out. I think the ADA, the Australian Dental Association, quite sort of proactive about giving us some guidelines as to what to what to do in our practice and sort of gave us levels of restriction ones one through to four we started screening patients i think in early march uh, we had uh, patients coming in from italy uh, traveling back from holidays uh, we had some patients coming off the ruby princess uh, we had patients i think uh, it sort of struck home when some of the patients had family members that had caught virus and uh, 
uh, even some deaths and not able to attend funerals. Have you had any, any exposure to the virus in your practice? Uh, during the second wave of the virus in Victoria, we had, um, uh, there was a driver from Melbourne who uh, visited several country towns and uh, uh, failed to tell some of the contact tracing team and uh, the virus had been floating around in Shepparton for a couple of weeks. Um, and then one of our uh, staff members became uh, notified that she was a, a, a close contact of one of the people that became infected with the virus. So it became yeah, very real as to uh, all the policies that we'd put in place, uh, an exposure plan as to what we would needed to do in terms of that. The, the staff member was sent home immediately and we all instantaneously became a casual contacts and, and needed to all um, uh, be mindful that we needed to get tested too. Uh, luckily, the, the staff member came back negative. Netta, did you have any experiences? Not directly. There wasn't anybody within our clinic that um, had any kind of exposures. But, you know, there are a number of um, staff members that have either a heart condition or have some sort of um, compromised immune system. You know, that they were sent home they were actually sent home um, and not to be at work because they would be at risk. So, you know, that, that whole model of care and safe, um, um, keeping everybody safe extended to the patient and as well as to the staff members, yeah. The pandemic has certainly been, well, it's had seasons, it's had literal seasons, but it's had ebbs and flows and changing restrictions. What was it like for the early days for you and your practice? It was pretty much business as usual for a short period of time. Um, but then being in government, we would get um, advice um, from much higher up. We basically went very quickly from, I think it, I think we had nine clinics um, in our Metro South area um, to an emergency care model where we were just seeing people for emergencies. Um, prior to that, because we kind of knew it was, it was going to come, um, I um, tried to expedite the process and get those people that were close to finish um, or an insert stage of their appliance um, in or out, or we I even did home visits to drop things off. You know, we'd don masks and gloves and basically go, get to the letterbox, drop it at the letterbox and, and then depart <laughs> um, at that time, just to get people their appliances, um, advising them that we wouldn't be able to do any kind of aftercare um, um, attention for them until the restrictions ease. In orthodontics, people have uh, ongoing checks of their retainers, um, uh, people that were in observation, not in treatment yet. We try to focus on uh, managing the people that were currently in treatment and, and looking after them. Everything else could be deferred. Uh, orthodontics, I guess, there's uh, not a lot of emergencies, so we were able to do that pretty easily. We, I think we sort of saw the writing on the wall uh, in terms of practice was going to close. The virus was sort of taking off and the numbers were increasing. And we thought that uh, in the coming weeks we would, we would need to close. We started contacting patients to try to, uh, I guess, passivate their, their, their treatment. So anyone that had active appliances, we didn't want to have their teeth move in an uncontrolled way. And so we, we started getting them in removing separators, uh, removing some of the active appliances and uh, making sure that if we did shut down that they weren't going to have any negative effects on, on, on them personally. Um, 
And we triaged a lot of the appointments, trying to work out which, which patients needed to be seen sooner than, than others. Uh, this, I guess, a lot of the patients weren't happy about having some of their treatment delayed. Uh, we had to make some hard decisions on that, and, and that, that, was, that was difficult to manage. We started reducing the numbers of patients in our, in our practice, trying to uh, uh, reduce the numbers of people in the waiting room. Um, we started a virtual waiting room, uh, so people would call the practice and wait in their car, and we would text them back when they were ready for their appointment. Yeah, we went to a, um, a model of where um, patients would um, ring the hub or the call centre, they would be contacted, there would be a series of questions that um, um, for screening purposes, and it was basically you either had a tooth out um, or you um, had some sort of palliative care, example, antibiotics, because that, there was no um, creation of um, aerosols allowed. And we, we were all in, you know, the, the N95 masks, um, you know, the, the full kit and caboodle, but, you know, dentures are not an emergency service. So um, basically it just stopped and I was deployed to do um, contact tracing and other um, administrative um, work within the organisation. Louisa, APRA and the national boards regulate individual health practitioners. What's their role in a pandemic? There was a bit of confusion about, you know, the role of the board and what does the board say that practitioners should or shouldn't do. But really, the national law doesn't give authority to or power to the boards to issue public health orders. And that's that's really the responsibility of government. The role of the regulator is to ensure that only health practitioners who are suitably trained and qualified to practice in a competent and ethical way are registered. So, and the aim of that is to, to protect the public. I suppose what the what the board did or does in, in a pandemic, develop resources and uh, guidance to help practitioners comply with their legal obligations to meet the, the minimum regulatory standards and to keep practicing. And this is um, primarily set out in the board's code of conduct. Um, that's where uh, practitioners can uh, refer to to understand um, what their obligations are. Um, and I suppose underpinning the code is the assumption that practitioners exercise professional judgment to deliver the best possible outcomes for their patients. And, and so professional judgment really is, is what's key. We all know that you know, risk is inherent in the provision of healthcare. So minimizing that risk to patients is a really important component of, of practice. And what the board expects is that dental practitioners have the, the right skill, training, experience to assess risk in their practice. And that, that includes the risk of infection control. It's quite interesting when um, you talk about professional judgments and whatever, because I guess um, individuals, perhaps based on where they're working and how stopping work um, affects them, and I've had conversations, robust conversations with colleagues um, trying to, to um, I, I guess, guide them in a way where a denture is not an emergency. So when you know, advice came out, emergency care, um, their definition of emergency care was, well, the person's broken their denture, so they need it. It's an emergency. <laughs> um, so that became quite confusing um, um, for a number of people. Rob, where did you go for information 
during the pandemic about uh, obviously the the public was listening to these government announcements and press conferences um in addition to that where did you go for advice initially um i had never heard of the ahppc um and i think uh, not not a lot of people had all of a sudden we were hanging off their every word louisa who is the ahppc so the australian health Protection Principal Committee is the key decision-making body for health emergencies, and it's comprised of all state and territory chief health officers. They were the ones that were, I guess, guiding uh, what we could do and what we couldn't do in, in practice, and it was up to some of the membership organisations, such as the, the ADA, VB, and, and our orthodontic society to interpret what that meant for practising, what uh, reducing aerosols meant what procedures you could do, what a, constituted an emergency. Um, and so uh, there was a, a lot of action uh, from uh, the membership organisations. They were really proactive in getting information out to the members same day or next day and helping us make decisions uh, uh, in our practice. Uh, some of the decisions had to be made overnight and so it was pretty hectic. Netta, what was it like for you in this it changing daily and needing to look for reliable information that could guide your practice? Our information was very um, forthcoming consistently. So, you know, we, we had a, a very um, direct line um, from government through to the um, local health district. If I was looking on a personal level, I would go to the ADA or I would go to the um, Chief Medical Officers Queensland Government site to, to see what the updates were um, at that time. But I think it, it's important to note that a lot of people probably didn't know where to look, I think, didn't know how to interpret the information. From my perspective, there wasn't a consistent approach till the pointy end of the, the, the stick kind of um, came out in terms of the pandemic and shutdowns, um, mandatory shutdowns and things like that. It must have, I mean, it was certainly confusing for the public and for people trying to navigate this new world in the pandemic. Louisa, what are some of the things that the board and APRA did to provide support for practitioners during this time? So the board um, would regularly uh, issue updates. So wherever there was a new advice issued by the AHPPC or where state or territory governments um, imposed new restrictions, the board would issue an update. I think we issued about 10 in total. Some were specific to Victoria because of the situation there. Um, others were, were broader. And those, those updates provided practitioners with what the, the latest restriction, information about what the latest restrictions were about, but it also pointed practitioners to um, other uh, sources of information, such as what the associations and the um, and, uh, and and other bodies were uh, providing to help practitioners uh, practice in in a really difficult environment. The other thing that the board did was uh, it brought forward a, a program called Dental Practitioner Support, which is um, a program uh, run by Turning Point, which is completely independent to the board, uh, but it's there to help practitioners to support their health and well-being. It's a, um, it's a free service. There's a, a phone number that practitioners can, can access um, and that they can, can call the service and, uh, and seek support in, in any way that uh, they, they need. 
If you're enjoying this episode, you might also be interested in an episode we recorded about telehealth earlier in the year. We spoke to an occupational therapist, a physio and a podiatrist. Here's Victoria reflecting on what it means for her physio practice. It's an incredible opportunity for us to show that we can deliver really high quality treatment via telehealth. It enables us to teach exercise and self-management strategies, which is so important for so many aspects of people's lives. And it, it opens up the accessibility to pretty much everyone in Australia, which I think it's incredibly exciting. And I just hope our profession can um, get on board and not miss the boat. Search for Taking Care in your podcast player to subscribe and find that and other episodes. Let's get back. So I'm sure there must have been some new innovative approaches to what you did during this strange time. Do you have any examples of um, things, challenges that you rose to in unique ways during the pandemic? Yeah, I think uh, during the shutdown, we uh, had a lot of patients that were, I guess, caught in treatment, I guess, compared with uh, dentistry and even uh, some other professions, we, we have a, a pool of patients that are in treatment, they're in braces and they, they're not, it's not a single visit and treatment goes for a couple of years. So lots of people in different stages of treatment, some recently having jaw surgery or dental extractions as part of their treatment and they, they needed aftercare and, and reassurance. And so we made a move pretty quickly to telehealth. And so we um, uh, bought some software and were able to get patients to take photos of their teeth uh, in different areas that we needed some information on. And we'd organise a, a Zoom uh, to touch base with them, give them advice, reassure them that we you know, haven't left them uh, in the lurch and uh, they, they were feeling, I guess, supported throughout their ongoing care. And that, that was difficult. Uh, a lot of patients in regional Victoria don't have good access to uh, internet and and uh, even phone lines can be a little bit dodgy at times. So uh, trying to, uh, I guess, yeah, keep in contact with your patient base and uh, reassure them. That yeah, I can confirm that because although you can't see, I actually am banded up on my um, lower jaw at the moment. So my orthodontist also um, did the whole telehealth thing and it was fabulous. It was great. It was great to keep connected and and to ensure that you were tracking well um, in terms of your treatment. Um, but it, it, it's just a challenging time for everybody because there's nothing like face-to-face, -face, particularly when it comes to dentistry, I suppose. So, uh, yes, I, I totally um, applaud the innovative way that um, a lot of clinicians have been able to uh, manage their patients' um, anxiety with this um, stage in time. In Shepparton, we're in a sort of unique position where uh, in Victoria, we had a second wave of uh, coronavirus and uh, Melbourne were locked down and Mitchell Shire, which is just south of us. And then not long after the, the borders to New South Wales closed and, uh, and that was north of us. So we're sort of stuck in the, in the middle where we had patients coming from the, those areas which are now not able to travel or were uncertain about travel across the border. There was a lot of confusion for patients about whether they were able to cross into Victoria without needing to self-isolate. Uh, uh, and again, the decisions were made at the, at the parliament level, but then uh, it was up to the local governments to try to sort through some of the policies and, and rules, uh, permits for patients. We helped them, I guess, try to provide them with the permits and, and information so in case they were stopped at the border. But then 
uh, it was probably a month before we really got a clear answer from from uh, some of the um, governing bodies about what that meant for specialist care. If it wasn't able to be sourced locally and people do have to travel to see us, uh, we were sort of caught outside of this uh, zone uh, where people were able to tra travel easily. So that was a challenge. To what extent do you think those innovations will continue? Do you think that COVID's changed practice into the future? Yeah, I think telehealth is probably here to stay. Uh, although in my profession, uh, it is very hands-on. So there is limited scope for what we can provide via telehealth. We, we really use it as a, a triage system and the screening of patient problems and emergencies. And, and even yeah, after we're sort of getting back to normal uh, with the, some of the rules and regulations, I think it will stay. Pe people are more... Uh, computer savvy as a result of uh, going through this pandemic everyone's had to uh, use zoom and, and other products like that to get in contact with people so um yeah i think there will be some some positives that can come out of uh, some of the restrictions that come into place absolutely um i think we're all across this is not just a flu anymore. Um, and a lot of my patient base is older, non-English speaking background, um, uh, multiple health issues. Um, so managing um, them moving forward, I, I guess, um, you know, they're, they're doing it in their everyday existence already. So they're very, very careful. But if I kind of go back to when we we're, you know, ceased actually seeing patients, I, I would actually, ring my patients and, and have a conversation with them like I would with my mum and dad. I, I would say to my patient, look, if you were my mum, because they ask you what you think I should do, should I come in? I said, look, if you were my mum and dad, I would tell you to stay home because, A, you're catching a bus, you're travelling 50 kilometres, you have multiple health issues, your, dent your dentures are not something that is an urgent thing. We will see you eventually, but at this point in time, let's just, um, you know, take take a bit of time and, and just let things settle. So um, things, I, I guess, because, you know, we've had such a long time in Queensland without any new cases, um, people also can become a little bit complacent, but, you know, within the clinic, we, we, we have probably gone to the nth degree. Everybody's screened, the, the, the spacing within the rooms, automatic doors are placed, doors are closed between surgeries, everything scrubbed from ceiling to floor after every patient. I mean, it was cleaned always anyway, but it, it's just, we've gone to that extra level of, you know, using specific um, decontaminating solutions. So we, have, we seem to have a committee for everything. <laughs> so, and, uh, you know, one of them is also complaints, um, which you get a lot of during these times because people are anxious and they want, want some answers. But if, you, if you, you come from that point of, I care about you and we will do something, but the most important thing at this point in time is to keep you safe. So they get that. They actually get that and they're, they're happy to wait and, um, and then come in when it's a much better time. Fantastic. So, Louisa, could you talk about how APRA and the Dental Board have needed to adapt to the pandemic the, the regulatory requirements haven't necessarily changed, but I think um, the boards and APRA are more flexible about um, how practitioners need to uh, 
comply with their obligations. One example is um, uh, maintaining CPD and, and complying with C continuing professional development requirements. Um, the boards, uh, all of the boards um, have agreed that if practitioners aren't, for example, if practitioners aren't able to access CPD because of COVID, that they won't take regulatory action on that. Um, another example is also in relation to uh, recency of practice. So the, the board has uh, requirements about um, recency of practice, but again, is being flexible around practitioners' need to meet those standards. Um, because there's an understanding that some things just haven't been possible in the COVID environment. So as we move forward into the future of a continuing changing world, what are you holding true as a practitioner, Rob? So as dentists and orthodontic specialists, we already have pretty high standard of infection control. Uh, and I think the pandemic has sort of uh, showed that uh, we don't have to make drastic changes to, to what we do, although um, it, it sort of highlighted that we are able to change if, if we needed and we're able to close and, and people were able to, um, I guess, flip to uh, different modes of, of care, whether it be telehealth or tele-dentistry. Um, but the, yeah, COVID was very contagious, uh, especially in Victoria. There were lots of cases floating around and uh, um, the nature of our profession, working in people's mouths, it's obviously high risk and uh, we had to continue to um, maintain at different levels of uh, understanding and acceptance from, from patients about uh, what we could do during that time. Um, I think the attitude of... Uh, I guess the old attitude of working through a cold, uh, we're all probably guilty of that, having a sniffle or a bit of a cough at some point, uh, and patients uh, also coming in maybe with those sort of things, that will change. And I think uh, we have to be uh, better at screening patients, and uh, I guess patients also have to be uh, able to answer some of the questions honestly about uh, when we do ask those screening questions and, and be happy to defer appointments. It's not uh, necessarily going to affect their ongoing care. Like Rob said, you know, within dental practices, we've already been doing all, all that um, previously. It's not like we, we didn't, you know, wear gloves or we didn't wear masks or we didn't. Um, but, you know, the whole practice now of screening patients, um, ensuring that there's not too many people, you know, in a confined space, um, managing their expectations. But also, um, you know, there, sometimes you can't, can't turn people away um, because they, they're in pain. So um, we, as an organisation, public health organisation, see people who may um, have come off a plane or may have come off, a, are still in quarantine, you know, within the hotels, because people are still coming back to Australia um, and managing those people coming into our clinics. And it's, it's quite a regimented, you know, exercise where we have a, you know, the, the individuals within a specified clinic, um, they don the you know the whole um, um, gamut of PPE and eel protective um, um, clothing and the P95 masks. There's a runner outside getting stuff, so nobody infiltrates other than the patient and the clinician and the assistant. So it's a very bubble-like atmosphere. So you know, I think it's it's just a lot more 
regimented in the way we do stuff. We don't have multiple people sitting next to each other in the waiting rooms. We don't overlap people. We have barriers um, in the waiting rooms. So it's just become the norm for everybody. It, like you go to wherever the supermarket and there's a screen there. So, <laughs> you know, it's just become the norm now. Um, and just man, but I think the biggest thing is managing those people that could potentially be um, um, uh, COVID positive um, uh, within an environment, but keeping everybody safe, including, you know, the, the staff that are treating them. Louisa, is there somewhere that patients and the public can go for resources and help from the board? They can go to the board's website and the website has a video there for patients and there are tips there for patients as well. That will help them to uh, think about the questions that they can ask of their dental practitioner. Thank you, Rob, Louisa and Netta for your insights and the beginnings of many more conversations. As mentioned by our three guests today, dental practitioners maintain high standards of patient care. If you're a dental patient, you can find tips to make sure you're getting safe care, including a short video on the Dental Board's website. If you're a dental practitioner, remember that dental practitioner support is available 24-7 by phoning 1-800-377-700. Put that number in your phone so it's handy if you ever need it. You might also like to check out the services website, which has information about many aspects of health and well-being at dpsupport.org.au. And thanks for listening to this episode of Taking Care. There are lots more, so do make sure to subscribe by searching for Taking Care in your podcast player. That way, they'll be waiting in your feed each time we release a new one. If you have any questions or comments, please email us at communications at See you next time. <laughs>